Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's beautiful conversation is with someone that I have respected for many years, and uh, I'm very grateful to get to share this discussion with you today. I'm actually quite proud of this conversation. Uh, I think we got to go into a whole variety of wormholes and tangents that I think are quite relevant in today's world, which is our mental health care. I think perhaps it is more relevant today than ever in history. That's a big statement. But I think considering the present state of the world, there's a pretty reasonable chance that that is a more relevant conversation now than ever before. So I'm very grateful to get to share this conversation with you with Dr. Amen. Dr. Amen is a 12 times New York Times bestselling author. And he has been forging a new path in the world of mental health care, psychiatry, psychology, neurology for decades. And I'm so grateful to get to share his perspectives in this conversation. We discuss his most recent book, Your Brain is Always Listening, Tame the Hidden Dragons that Control Your Happiness, Habits, and Hangups. Such a invaluable conversation to go into the depths of what's driving our conscious mind via the subconscious mind. So very grateful to get to share this conversation with you guys. We go into much more than that, but uh, yeah, it's it's a wide-spanning conversation that I had a really great time with. So I hope you guys dig it. If you do, share it with your friends, share it with your grandma, let the world know that uh, mental health is important. And if a person in your life, perhaps you, perhaps someone you love or care about, perhaps someone you see in the street seems to be suffering with their internal situation, which ultimately creates their external circumstance, maybe send them this conversation, maybe send them some of his books, maybe just give them a smile, make some eye contact with them, uh, show them that you care. Offering a hand is not just supportive to other people, but giving is giving to others is giving back to ourselves. So a simple, easy way to perhaps share uh, some love, share some support, share some tools for people to be able to take better care of themselves could be this conversation. Okay, I think that's it. Let's get back to it with the good Dr. Raymond. Thanks for using iTunes as well, or whatever, wherever you do your... You're reviewing. Here we go. Back to the podcast with the good doctor. Amen. Pow. Thanks so much for making time to, to do this. Where are you based at presently? Orange County in Southern California. How about you? I am in Santa Monica in the present moment. How was your breakfast, Dr. Raymond? Oh, I just make this great shake every morning. Good. That energizes and turns on my brain. What was in this this shake of the, of the morning? Is it consistent each morning? It is. Uh, although this morning was strawberries, but um, I have a company called BrainMD that makes protein powder that's got like two carbs in it. It's really amazing. And smart mushrooms, neurogreens, fiber, and um, something called Bright Minds, which is our secret weapon. It's like the best multi ever plus a brain boost. It's, I did the big NFL study and showed 80% of our players got better when I put them on Bright Minds plus fish oil. Right. So it landed all up, tastes great. And it's 240 calories. Do you make it crunchy or do you just keep it smooth? Um, it's pretty smooth. Just depends on how much ice I put in. <laughs> All right. What do you think of, of crunching your, adding some type of crunch to smoothies, especially if there's fruit in it to release all the, the amylase and the enzymes and such to start breaking the sugar down inside of your mouth? Do you think that's hooey? Is that a bunch of hooey, Dr. Raymond? Well, Bright Minds actually has digestive enzymes in it, but uh, I don't know. I think my Vitamix breaks everything down really well. Yeah, I, I feel like oftentimes some of the things that we, you know, we, we outsource some of the, um, 
the functions that our bodies naturally would do in, in food. And I always just wonder what the, the potential ramifications are that, like outsourcing the chewing of the fruit and such into the Vitamix. Could that have been a vital component to the actual digestion of the food? Maybe not, but I think there's there's a relevant conversation there that links to, to mental health is what I'm, I'm potentially teasing at. Some of the things that we naturally do throughout daily life, such as maybe like walking to gather water or hunting and gathering or problem solving, looking into the distance and you know seeing a storm coming in. I think all of those pull on certain biological toggles that inform and, and heal the mind and the body and the physiology. And uh, we outsource those and it feels like it's kind of like a, a biological, mental, emotional predicament. Does that sound insane, Dr. Raymond? Well, for me, it triggered, we're diagnosing Alzheimer's disease later because of smartphones mm. that we actually don't know your brain is in trouble for two, three, four years later because you're able to get home because you just have to say, Siri, take me home. <laughs> Where 30 years ago, I would diagnose someone with Alzheimer's disease because they couldn't find their way home. Wow. And we've outsourced our memory, which you wonder if smartphones are shrinking the hippocampus, which is the major memory structure in the brain. Simultaneously, as the, as the hippocampus shrinks, the iPhone shrinks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Did you think my iPhone 11 is so much more sophisticated than the original one? But that means my brain has more time to do stupid things like crossword puzzles. Yeah. Not that that's a stupid thing, but you know, maybe video games and so on that just steal our attention. I'm really enamored by the mind-body conversation, and I come to it from the lens of physicality. You know, Ida Rolf, the founder of Rolfing Structural Integration, I don't know if you're familiar with, are you familiar with that? Have you heard of Rolfing before? I have heard of it, but okay. I've never done it, and yeah. don't know much about it. Well, so she has a quote, we work with the body because it's what we can get our hands on. And, you know, so I enjoy engaging with this mind-body conversation from physicality because it's, you know, mechanically what we can see and measure and get our hands on. But I, I feel like it's quite apparent that, that it goes much deeper than just, just physical. You know, I think our, our emotions and our diet and our, our identity structure, it's all, you know, they're all kind of pulling on each other. But I think that through movement, we can start to, it's like a doorway into deeper parts of ourselves would be kind of a way to summate what I'm interested in. Well, and until I started looking at the brain, the whole mental health stuff was amorphous. Mm -hmm. It was really hard to get your hands on. Yeah. So when I started looking at the brain, I'm like, oh, the brain creates the mind. And if your brain's not right, your mind's not right. Sort of the big idea behind the end of mental illness. It's like, stop calling these mental illnesses. Uh, that shames people. It yeah. stigmatizes people. And it's wrong. You know, when you call someone mental, that's not a compliment. But when you call them a brain, that is a compliment. And the physical functioning of the brain creates the mind. And so, if your brain's not right, your mind's not right. And so I like to start with let's optimize the physical functioning of the three pounds between your ears. And when we do that, you think better, you feel better, you act better, you're a better dad or a better mom. And everybody wants to get on board, right? Nobody feels ashamed because they want to optimize their brain very high percentage of people feel ashamed if you diagnose them with a mental illness. Yeah. And it's more elusive, the, the mental illness. And even like mind in general, it's like, where do you grab it and hold on to it and contain it? And so coming from the lens of almost like materializing it into this, the structure of the brain, it feels like it's like an anchor that we can hold on to that probably provides hope. And then from that, that, you know, spills into 
to change, I would think. Is that, is that kind of perhaps a thing? It's a thing, right. And when you talk about the mind-body connection, I think of it as brain slash body. That's yeah. one circle. Mind or your psychology, that's another circle. The social circle, which is because you know how another person is impacts you. Yeah. I just finished a trip, a college trip for my daughter and her boyfriend. And people are contagious. You feel them and yeah. they impact you. And then there's a spiritual circle, which is ultimately, why do you care? Um, why do you want a healthy body or a healthy mind or good relationships? What does it all mean? And, and I think always assessing and optimizing those four circles helps you to be a happy, whole person. Uh, and that's worked for me over the last 40 years of seeing patients. When did the spiritual circle start coming into your purview? Has that been forever? Is that a more recent thing that you start to see that being deeply entwined? No, it, for me, it's forever. I grew up Roman Catholic. I was an altar boy. Um, I had to pass guilt 101, guilt 102, advanced guilt. Um, I went to a Christian university. I went to a Christian medical school. I went to Oral Roberts University. Very proud of my alma mater. They made it to the Sweet 16 and the NC2A tournament, uh, which is cool for a small school. Um, but when you walk on the campus at ORU, it was mind, body, spirit. Mm. And the first week of medical school there, the dean went to the board and said, never think of people as their diagnosis. Yeah. Think of them in these four big circles. And it just stuck. And it makes so much sense that I'm more than my cells. And I often ask myself the question is, does this have eternal value? And it helps you not sweat the small stuff. And when you have that question, you realize almost everything is small stuff. Yeah. How did you come across that? Because I think intellectually, most people know that. But actually living their lives in congruence with that idea, I think is... is it's like a taller, it's a taller feat to actually engage with that as who you are, the awareness that, you know, don't sweat the, the small stuff because there seems essentially small stuff. Like how do you actively maintain that in your life? Is there, is there like practices? Well, have, is there uh, philosophy? I have a, a newer book than the end of mental illness called Your Brain is Always Listening. Yeah. And I talk about the dragons from the past that are always breathing fire on your emotional brain. And the dragon for me that helps this is the death dragon. COVID has exploded the death dragon population around the world. But when I was in college, I took a death and dying class. We wrote our own funerals, uh, and really studied the work of uh, psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who wrote this wonderful book on death and dying. And what she said is, it's the denial of death that is partially responsible for people living empty, purposeless lives, because when you believe you're going to live forever, you don't take care of the things you know you need to do today to manage your relationships. And that was very important to me, to sort of live with the end in mind that I'm so much more likely to be present today if I know, well, at some point I'm not going to have this, to be grateful for each moment rather than get into sort of a negative Nelly mindset. Yeah, that's amazing. Is there some type of reoccurrent kind of limiting beliefs or neuroses or, or belief systems that come back that, that are kind of 
challenging for you that you've like like are you familiar with Ram Das, the philosopher? Or I don't know how you call Ram Das exactly, but one of the things that he's talked about is that you don't cut out your neuroses, these belief systems. They just get smaller to the point that they don't occupy and run your life. They become like guests that you can, in, like little kids that you can invite in, you know, and have for tea. And it's like, oh, there you are, limiting belief or greed or sexual perversion or whatever, whatever the thing is. It's like, ah, instead of it consuming you, you're like, ah, ha, ha, there you are, you know, but I, you know, I run the ship as opposed to, to you running it. Is there, is that a, something well, that you well, witnessed so in I your life? What would it would correlate really nicely with your brain is always listening, especially the dragons from the past. Yeah. I have an example. This is the ancestral dragon. It's <laughs> the issues you have aren't your issues. They're from another generation. And yeah. it's like, oh, things are not fair, which was true for my ancestors in many ways. Or the abandoned, invisible, and insignificant dragon. That's my primary dragon. Growing up in a family of seven children, I was third, which meant you're completely irrelevant and not special. In a Lebanese family, um, the oldest boy is the golden child. So I have an oldest sister. Next is my older brother. And then me. And it was just so clear in my family. You know, in a Lebanese family, the oldest boy goes into the business. Thank God, my dad owns owned grocery stores. And, you know, it wasn't for me. So it was a huge blessing. But that's the dragon that comes up and yeah. visits me. It's like, even though what I've done has, you know, I never had any idea I would do something so cool and so special. But it'll come and say hi periodically yeah. and you know and you have to have a dragon tamer and the dragon tamer is actually the front third of your brain it's called the prefrontal cortex largest in humans and any other animal by far and when you keep it healthy it can put a lid on the dragons if you tame them right mm -hmm. I mean, there's a method to do that and it's why your brain is just so important and why you should never let a child hit a soccer ball with their head or play tackle football because it damages the break in your brain, the front third of your brain. It's called the executive part of the brain. Yeah. And did you do you attribute any of your now what could be conceived as hyper relevance to the sensation of irrelevance growing up? Or is that like a... That's not like the, the the fire for you to, you know, you're a 12 time New York Times bestselling author and the aiming clinic and you've influenced, you know, like you've clearly become relevant as the adult version of yourself. Do you have that sensation of irrelevance to, to thank? And was it ever, you know, a burden or a compensation or like a sense of, of void filling or did it come from a, a fulfilled place as you created that relevance? And maybe that's overly well, personal. I talk about question. all the dragons have an upside. Yeah, right. And that was the upside for me. Yeah. Like I was never happier. I had to speak at the American Airlines Arena to 26,000 people for 90 minutes. I don't think I've ever been happier because it was the relevance, if you will, you know, to be able to make people laugh or see themselves in a new way. And the work, because it's been a lot of work fueled it. And it's often the combination of your dragons, you know, that with the anxious dragon, the responsible dragon, I have that one in spades too. On average, people have six. People can find their dragons at knowyourdragons.com. We have a cool quiz that we've had about 100,000 people take. And cool. The responsible one is very common, surprised me, but it's like you feel the need to be taking care of other people or you become very unhappy. And our last daughter is about to go off to college, which makes my wife sad. And I think she's going off to college with her maybe, but uh, she has that responsible dragon in spades.
I have friends with kids that when the when the kid starts walking around and becoming more independent of the mother, suddenly the mother wants to get a puppy or something. <laughs> you know, it's like the the it, it seems like a burden of like, oh, I'm always taking care, but in fact, that's it's it's keeping us. It almost validates us in a way. Oh, we are needed. You know, and so right that yeah. when I had kids, it became it was not so much about me. It yeah. was about I had value in serving someone else. Yeah, I'm responsible for something greater than myself, which in a modern world, there's so many great threads here to come back to the, the conversation of neurology and depression, and anxiety, and all these different conditions. But the taming of the dragon to stay, stay on track I feel like that, or the dragons, this you know six on average. I feel like that's the unspoken root of so much of the the health conditions that have stricken Western culture or culture in general. But we're we're more topically focused. But I think under if we can go under the hood and start addressing those dragons, it seems like that's like the foundation of you know what makes most people tick. But but few people actually take the adventure of looking inward to realize that they have dragons in the first place. Because of pharmaceuticals that okay. I feel anxious or I feel hopeless or yeah. I feel obsessed. It's the allopathic model. It's, and, and I hate, and I'm not using that word lightly, I hate what has happened to my profession. Mm. That when I trained to be a psychiatrist in the late 1970s and early 1980s, I was really a whole person doctor. Well, I went to a Christian medical school. I was an army trained psychiatrist and they really taught us to be whole people doctors. I felt like I was their family doctor for their mind. And when managed care took over medicine in the early 1990s, they turned psychiatrists into the candy man, 15 med checks, and your job really was not to do therapy anymore for your patients. It was to manage their medication. And I hated that. I'm like, no, I don't want any part of that. But that's what's happened. And in most psychiatric residency programs, it's really pharmaceutical driven. And they become pharmaceutical reps, you know, the candy man, for lack of a better term. Okay. And it's just wrong. And and I'm not opposed to medication. I'm actually really good at prescribing medication, but it's never the first and only thing I do. I want to get you well in these four circles. And each of the circles, there's lots of things to do, like to keep your brain healthy. If you want to keep your brain healthy or rescue it, you have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. I have a mnemonic called Bright Minds. And um, there's a lot of technology to get your brain healthy. (laughs) And then in the psychological circle, I teach people to kill the ants, the automatic negative thoughts that steal their happiness. That's a term I coined about 30 years ago. And so I have anteaters here. Got to get rid of the automatic (laughs) negative thoughts. And the idea is just whenever you feel sad or mad or nervous or out of control, write down what you're thinking and just ask yourself, is it true? And, you know, I don't know if you were good at talking back to your parents when you were a teenager. I was excellent. (laughs) But until I was 28 years old, nobody ever taught me to talk back to myself. Like, just because you have a thought has nothing to do with whether or not it's true or whether or not it's helpful. And you can evaluate your thoughts. And I'm like, oh, my wife never listens to me. And if I didn't question it, I'd sort of become a jerk to her. I'd make it sad and irritated. And But when I go, well, is that true? I'm like, No, I've written 15 public television specials. I write all of my own scripts. Um, She's listened to all of them multiple times. It's like, no, she does listen. Maybe today she's having a hard day, right? But if I don't learn to question the nonsense that comes in, and thoughts come from all over the place. They come from 
your genetics and what happened to your parents. They come to what you had for dinner, the news you listen to or watch, the music you hear, how you slept, the conversations that went on during the day. And your thoughts are often stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're often noise. And so it's not the thoughts you have that make you suffer. It's the thoughts you attach to. And so learning to kill the ants and tame the dragons, so important. I want to take a quick moment and discuss the value of tending to our internal gardens, referred to as our microflora or our microbiome. If you've ever said you're going to go with your gut, it's not just a saying. Your gut is really connected to your brain, and signals pass back and forth between them. Unfortunately, 74% of Americans are suffering from digestive problems like gas, bloating, and abdominal pain. This is a sign that your microbiome is out of balance and that your gut-brain connection isn't working the way it should. This is bad news because gut problems also affect your mood and happiness. How is this possible? Well, 90% of your serotonin is created in your gut, and serotonin plays a big part in how happy you feel. If your gut is out of balance, it could disrupt the normal production and cycling of serotonin, and you won't feel as happy and positive as you normally do. There is good news. If you rebalance your gut, you'll start to feel better physically and emotionally, and your gut-brain connection will be restored even better, this doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out process. You can change your gut microbiome and start feeling better in as little as 72 hours. And here's how you mother do it. Our friends over at BioOptimizers have developed an exciting new formula that combines cutting-edge nutrition that you would normally find in two separate products. This breakthrough formula combines powerful probiotics and prebiotics to restore balance in your gut, plus 17 nootropic and adaptogenic brain herbs to enhance mood, manage stress, and improve memory. It's all one formula called Cogna Biotics, and it's the perfect solution for supporting your gut health, brain health, and mental health all at the same time. All right, here is the best part. Cogna Biotics comes with a full one-year guarantee. So I encourage you to try it risk-free and see for yourself how much better you feel. Simply go to Cognibiotics.com slash Align and use Align 10 to receive 10% off your order. Again, that's Cognibiotics.com slash Align for 10% off your order. Cognibiotics is spelled C-O-G-N-I-B-I-O-T-I-C-S dot com slash Align. All right, back to the podcast. I wonder if it, like, one, I'd be curious your definition of, of mind in the first place, because it's probably a subjective word that many people would have different definitions of. And then I, I wonder if if mind, perhaps the definition could extend into environment, you know, because our environment informs our thoughts and feelings and physiology. And, you know, I don't know exactly where the disconnect is, whether it's at the, the border of our, our skin layer, or maybe it's, you know, where it is exactly. But I wonder if certain environmental conditions in a person's home or their nutrition or their relationships, how that feeds back into informing our thoughts, you know, because I feel like it's, it's kind of like chicken or the egg, you know, did my wife create that thought in me or did the thought create the filter to perceive that? Did I create my wife? That wasn't really a question. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Definition of mind, sir. To to my mind was the noise my brain creates. Right. uh, You you brought up so many interesting things, though. So, for example, if you have mold in your house, I can see it on your scan. Your brain looks toxic. Mm -hmm. And you're much more likely to have ants that dominate your life if your frontal lobes are damaged. Right. Because your frontal lobes, think of them like the break. They, there's always a dynamic tension between your limbic or emotional brain and your thoughtful brain. And when the thoughtful brain is damaged the negative emotional brain often will take over. Right. And so that's why you're more likely to have a high ant population if you've not slept because you have lower frontal lobe function. Or if you've gone too long without eating, you're more likely to relapse in substance abuse 
because you have low blood sugar, which goes with low frontal lobe function. And so optimizing sleep, nutrition, is really important to get keeping the ants at bay. Yeah. So in the the last book, Ending Mental Illness, um, one of the things you mentioned is that like if you were an, an evil ruler creating a world to create mental disease, mental illness, you'd essentially reproduce Western culture. And and that, I'm paraphrasing that, so please correct me. But I wonder from your perception, what is some of the low-hanging fruit in the model that most of us are existing in that could be kind of placing the mind into more of that, that limbic survival state? And is there just very blatantly obvious, you know, big, ripe, delicious apples hanging down to, to help people become more resourced? We just don't really have the eyes, eyes to see it in the world that we live in. Like, I, I, I think there's, you know, Joseph Campbell has a quote where we're fishing for minnows as we're standing on top of a whale. And I feel like that's a, a relevant conversation with mental health and physical health and so many things. So do you feel like there's an abundance of low-hanging fruit for us? Absolutely. I talk about over, I think, 62 evil ruler strategies. (laughs) I mean, how my brain comes up with this stuff. But, I mean, you know, number one is to just turn off the news. The news is an evil ruler strategy because it's not about the news. It's about what scares you. It's about what frightens you. It's about what makes you angry. Uh, because that's what gets eyeballs because the brain is actually wired to pay attention to negativity. There's a survival mechanism that CNN and Fox and all the other news outlets, they tie into. And when my wife watches the news, she's angry. And she knows this when she turns it off. Uh, I mean, you know, she'll look at it for five minutes a day to find out what's going on. But it's... She's just so much happier. Uh, another evil ruler strategy is the, the weapons of mass destruction. ISIS has nothing on our food industry. You don't even hear about ISIS anymore. But our food industry is really the weapons of mass destruction, highly processed, pesticide sprayed, high glycemic, low fiber, food-like substances stored in plastic, Containers, they're destroying the health of America. We are exporting it. 72% of Americans are overweight. 42% of us are obese. Obese, Pandemic made all of it worse. I published three studies in scientific journals that show as your weight goes up, the actual physical size and function of the brain goes down, which you scare the fat. Off anyone, if you're overweight or obese, you have five of the 11 risk factors that I talked about earlier. You have lower blood flow to your brain. The imaging study I do, SPECT, is a blood flow study. You have inflammation. It changes your hormones. It takes healthy testosterone and turns it into unhealthy cancer-promoting forms of estrogen. It's just not good. (laughs) And, And yet, we're not concerned about this as a society. We should be curious. And obesity in children's gone up like 800% since 1982. We need to be more thoughtful about our food. Yeah. Is, is uh, body fat goes up, is it the brain as a whole shrinks or is it specifically like the frontal cortex or the cerebellum or the hippocampus? Like does the amygdala have an inverse response or like how does... Is it just the brain gets smaller? All of it. It's horrifying. When I did the research and I created the graphs, one of my statisticians is overweight. (laughs) And I'm like, look at this. And he's like, I'm losing 30 pounds. Mm. Yeah. And that's actually why I dropped like 25 pounds because the first study, which was from the University of Pittsburgh, showed an MRI as weight went up, the size of the brain went down globally. I'm like, oh, that's bad. And so I got serious about getting to a healthy weight. Yeah. Is, why do we have a brain? 
Is the brain so that we can move? We have a brain so we can be flexible. Hmm. That's why we have a brain. We have a brain so that we can learn, we can adapt, which helps us survive. Yeah. I think it's a sea slug. I'm pretty sure my memory serves me correctly. You probably know this. When they are young sea slugs and they're squirting around the ocean, they have a brain and then eventually they attach themselves. I think it's a sea slug. I might be, it might be another critter, but they attach themselves to a rock and then they don't move anymore. And then during that time frame, because the, the brain is expensive to maintain, they digest their own brain. And so the, the kind of metaphor within that is that your brain is structured to move you about in order to gather resources and procreate and problem solve and do all of the things. And without movement, the brain starts to degenerate. And, you know, you're talking about brain health being, a, you know, part of that is, is circulation. The way that we circulate is through movement. What do you think about all that? And please let me know when I'm talking on my ass because it happens regularly. <laughs> New learning is such an important strategy to keep your brain young, mm -hmm. which is why I don't think I'll ever retire. I'm like, golf will not grow your brain. So, but ping pong will. The table tennis, absolutely. Will. Table tennis. Yeah. <laughs> your eyes, your hands, your feet, all working together while you think about this spin yeah. on the ball. That's my favorite game. Is the predominant thing for neuroplasticity, is it generally presenting the brain and the body and the mind with new problems to solve? Because you could do something that's really complex. So for you, like table tennis would be really complex for somebody that doesn't play table tennis. But I'd imagine there's a, a certain point where there's like a diminishing returns point where it's like, I've already wired this. Now it's not as challenging. So there's less need for for adaptability of the brain? Like what's the best way to generate neuroplasticity within the brain from your perspective? Well, from table tennis perspective, it's always play with people who are better than you are. Right, always challenging. You're always challenging yourself to be better. I mean, the most complex thing I do, I suppose, is read scans. But now, I mean, I can look at a scan and within about eight seconds, I know what it means. So I need to be doing other things. In addition to, to what I love to do, whether it's creating a show or working on a relationship, uh, I would say piano would be great because I love doing that. But you have to keep pushing yourself to do something new. Yeah. And not just... And I mentioned crossword puzzles earlier because a lot of people think, oh, well, that's how I'm going to keep my brain young. Well, that's working out the left front side of your brain, uh, the language part of your brain. If that's all you do, it's sort of like going to the gym, doing right bicep curls and then leaving. Right. If you want to do things with language and things with movement and things with music. So both physical things and language-based things to work out different parts of your brain. And the sleeper part of the brain that very few people talk about is the cerebellum, which I call it the Rodney Dangerfield part of the brain. And I'm horrified because a lot of my young students or employees don't know who Rodney Dangerfield is. So I feel dated by that reference. But he was a comedian who used to say, I get no respect. Yeah. That's the cerebellum. 10% of the brain's volume, but 50% of the brain's neurons. And it's incredibly important. And when it doesn't work right, you're more likely to have autism. Yeah. You're more likely to be slower in how you think and how you process information. Yeah. Yeah, but you can you can see when people have some type of mental emotional dis-ease by walking watching them walk down the street right like someone that's maybe schizophrenic or you know like i see this with a lot of homeless people versus you know just different demographics of people they walk differently and sometimes their feet won't point in the right direction and their you know their 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 gait isn't integrated 
And so I wonder if, from your perception, can you, do you see some type of neurological cognitive component to postural patterns and the way that a person moves with their, with their body? That would go with the sleepy cerebellum. Right. Yeah. And there's actually a treatment I often recommend to my patients called the interactive metronome, which mm. stimulates the cerebellum. It's why sports are so important for developing brain to develop yeah. the cerebellum. Mm. What about weightlifting, dance? Like, do you think there's a, if a person is interested in cognitive function, staving off dementia, things of the sort, do you think just move? It doesn't matter. Do you think maybe move outside to compound variables of sunlight and, you know, fight inside, Shinrin Yoku, breathing in the nature? Is blue light exposure, maybe going to a gym at night under blue lights, does that have some type of deleterious effect on the brain? Like what's the optimal, uh, if we were had a brain garden, like what's the optimal way to develop our brain garden? Optimal environment. So it would be coordination exercise yeah. with learning. I'm actually friends uh, with Jim Carroll. Uh, who's a memory athlete? He'd be an interesting guest for you. Yeah, uh, he and I did a course together, Jim Carroll's Memory Master course, and he, he was like a steel mill worker and had a big heart. And in doing rehab, he would be on the bike, but he thought, well, rather than watching TV, let me learn something new. And so I ended up learning all the zip codes in the United States. And then all of the Oscar-winning movies, actors, actresses, and developed this really incredible memory. But his secret was he did new learning while exercising. Mm. And, you know, as you grow your compass, if you feed it new information, it's just more likely to keep growing. And it's fascinating. I'm a huge fan of weight training because the stronger you are as you age, the less likely you are to get Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. That frailty is actually what kills older people. And so I lifted weights this morning, something that I think is really important. But add to that cardio for blood flow, and coordination for your cerebellum and being outside is great. Blue light's awesome in the morning yep. and it's a disaster at night because it turns off the production of melatonin and can mess with your sleep, which is why you should have blue light blockers on all of your gadgets. You'll sleep better. Yeah, I think an interesting reframe that I gathered I don't know how long ago around muscles instead of thinking of muscles as, as just like a, like a mechanical appendage to, to move stuff and create leverage, thinking of them as like endocrine glands and through the, the, the pumping and the expansion and the contraction, you're, you're releasing irisin and a whole slew of different hormones and chemicals that are supportive to the function of your, not just your brain, but your, you know, your, your whole entire self. And so the idea of, of, that to me in my mind, it's interesting how just a simple reframe can kind of change our whole perception and approach. And that was something to me, I was like, oh, okay, you really, you know, respect them beyond just, just movers. You know, they're, they're more deeply integrated than that. And, and then do you have anything to say about that? Cause I have, a, I have a question behind that. I like that. And yeah. I think reframing it uh, just helps like reframing mental illness to brain health issues. Yeah. It changes everything. And, and this one little statement I like, I, we have lots of tiny habits. You know, it's the smallest thing you can do today that'll make the biggest difference. Is you just ask yourself, is this good for my brain or bad for it? And yeah. if you answer it with information, and love, love of yourself, your family, your mission, your kids, you start doing the right thing. If you can yeah. just ask yourself that question. But you had a question. 
Yeah, that, that reminds me. You you kind of referenced. Do you know Byron Katie? Are you familiar with her? I love Byron Katie. Good. Yeah, I that was just, great. Um, I I developed the ant stuff thirty years ago, but when I um, sixteen or seventeen years ago, I read her book, Loving What Is. And she and I are published by the same imprint at Random House. Okay. And I was going through a hard time and I read it and it was so helpful. Um, I asked my editor to connect me with her. And then I scanned everybody in her family and she and I became close. So I teach all of my patients. One of the exercises in your brain is always listening is give me a hundred of your worst thoughts Mm. Write them down mm. and then ask, is it true? Can you absolutely know that that's true? How do you feel when you have the thought? Who would you be without the thought? And let's take the original thought. My wife never listens to me and turn it around and ask yourself if the opposite of the thought is bothering you is true. Yeah. Love yeah. that. And I yeah. completely got that from Byron. Yeah, she's great. I had a question. I don't remember what it was anymore, actually. I like I like Katie as well. We, I've had her on the podcast a couple of times. We've done like acro yoga together. I got to flip her around and, you know, all the things. She's someone that I, I really deeply appreciate. There was something in relation to her, but now it's gone. So I'll go back to the original question that I had, and hopefully that will resurface. Um, there's almost like an irony, in a sense, of movement being so valuable for the you know the structure and function and of the brain and prevention of cognitive decline and all that and then in tandem with that stillness also has the same effect you know so meditation and mindfulness and just being with yourself being with what is that also has this this super effect of growing the the hippocampus and shrinking the amygdala and so there's, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of, it's kind of like contradictory in a way, or maybe it's not at all because it's like two sides of the same coin. You just need to be experiencing and, and delving into both sides. But that's an interesting thing. That's like either move or don't, but there's like an in-between place that maybe is. Why not do both? Yeah, do both, do both. Yeah, but it's. You do both. One is actually, I published three studies on meditation, a Kundalini yoga form of meditation called Kirtan Kriya, uh -huh. which is a singing meditation. It's beautiful and um, activates your frontal lobes, yep. calms down the emotional brain and decreases your risk for memory problems. Hmm. So if you could spend 10, 20 minutes a day meditating why not i mean it's a great thing to do you 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 know brain health isn't one thing people go what's the one i should do yeah and stop being stupid do as many of them as you can uh would be the one thing you know diet's important exercise is important managing your mind and uh Breathing is another one that's incredibly important. Uh, and it's the simplest of all of them. Yeah. If you just did diaphragmatic breathing, and I like a 4-8 rhythm, breathe in for four, hold it for a second, breathe out for eight, hold it for a second, do that for two minutes, you'll get an immediate Valium-like response with no side effects. Yep. And a couple of times a day, being purposeful in managing your breath will help you manage your mind. I wonder why it is, and we'll wrap this up soon, but I wonder why it is that we, so I, I wrote a book called The Align Method that came out last year. And the intention of it was essentially to provide people with these fundamental baseline tools that we all have access to, but for some reason we never received the education growing up on how to utilize our, our breath to navigate our autonomic nervous system because it's right there. It's very apparent. The same thing with your visual muscles, the same thing with your, your movement or lack of movement, your environmental conditions. Like we're always being played by our environment and we're also always engaging and playing it from 
you know, from the inside out. I wonder why it is that that's not more apparent in elementary school and middle school. Like at what point, cause you go to certain cultures and it's like, oh yeah, of course, like meditation, you know, or, or kirtan and, you know, it's like self-care is, is, is inherently entwined in the, the, the roots of the culture. I wonder what it was about Western culture that transitioned kind of away from that. Schools have actually not been redesigned in 120 years. And they were designed for the Industrial Revolution. I was actually part of a group on high school redesign and we created a high school course called Brain Thrive by 25. <laughs> and it's like these basic things, diet, exercise, not believing every stupid thing you think, what's good for the brain, what's bad for the brain. Yeah. That we should be. And I got the idea from my daughter who was in ninth grade at the time, 15 years ago. And she came to me with factoring. And I'm like, when's the last time I factored? And I couldn't remember ever factoring after learning how to factor. And then the next week she came with quadratic equations and um, she ended up at the Fashion Institute. I'm like, this is completely stupid for her to be learning this when she doesn't know these simple techniques that I teach my patients moment by moment that help prevent depression. Yeah. And so we launched that course. We studied it in 16 schools, decreases drug, alcohol, and tobacco use, decreases depression, and improves self-esteem. And I'm like, well, of course we should be doing just what you're saying. And we don't because the powers that be haven't done it. People yeah. do what they've done, not what is good for them. Like, you know, I image people. You come to Damon Clinics, I'm going to scan you because how do I know unless I look? And yet I get demonized for scanning people so that people can continue with the status quo. And, you know, part of it's just how scientific revolutions happen, which is a whole interesting discussion. But when you come up with a new mousetrap, a lot of people hate you especially if they're making money off the old mousetrap. And so um, the psychology of being a maverick is hard. I mean, for many years it was painful and I was anxious and angry and afraid. And then I got over it and I've been having the time of my life. But, but I still get irritated when someone attacks me. I think it's an old old response that's not necessary. Yeah. What do you think people listening or you or I, I mean, it seems like you're doing it. I'd like to think that I'm, you know, in part of doing something, but uh, what do you think people can do to create or be a part of the the, the pattern interrupt for the powers that, that be, whatever that means exactly, because maybe, again, that might be a subjective thing as well, to actually start to create change in the direction of, you know, this foundational healthcare as opposed to kind of more like just treating symptoms? Well, the most important thing they can do is learn it. Yeah. And then share it. Right. <laughs> I was part of a big program at Saddleback Church, one of the largest churches in the world, um, a decade ago. My goodness. We launched a program called The Daniel Plan based on five pillars, faith, food, fitness, focus, brain health, and friends, we get better together, sick together. The first week, 15,000 people signed up. The first year, they lost a quarter of a million pounds. And the stories of transformation were just incredible. Yeah. And yeah. what we learned is if you did it with someone else, it doubled your success, whatever that meant for you, weight loss or whatever. And what, what I came up with is you got to get the information and then you have to give it away to another person mm. because it is in the act of giving mm. that you create your own support group, making it more likely you'll stay on the program forever. And so one of my goals in life is to create a brain health revolution so that we get rid of the shame around mental illness 
and we get people seriously falling in love with their brain. Because when you fall in love with your brain, you decrease your risk for depression and addiction and Alzheimer's disease. But guess what? Your weight is better. Your heart is better. Your kidneys are better because all of that feeds your brain. And so it's not just about brain health. It's about total wellness. Uh, but it starts with your brain. Yeah. I remember the, the Katie thing, the Byron Katie thing. She One of the things she mentioned to me in the last podcast that we recorded was that before you do anything, a good rule of thumb to you know live a good life, again, paraphrase, this isn't exactly what she said, but the part that she did say is asking yourself, is it kind? And I thought that was such a, a simple yet profound approach to life. Like if you can, in whatever the decision that you're making with yourself, you know, as you're eating breakfast or not eating breakfast or coffee or not coffee or taking a walk or not or whatever, all the subtle, small details, the seemingly like minutiae of your life, if you can draw back and give yourself like a self audit, like, is this kind to my, my brain in this conversation? And if you consistently can have the response of like, yes, this is the kind decision. To me, that just seemed like a very like simple yet profound approach to encapsulate, you know, a lot, a lot of value. As long as it's not permissive, because mm. there's a difference. The best parents, I think, are firm and kind. So, so it's love with boundaries. Right. And so with breakfast, for example, we talked about my shake. You know, I could go, but you really want pancakes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that's not being kind Correct. to yourself. It's yeah. actually abusive when you understand the problems with obesity and a sugar load and triggering inflammation and so on. Yeah. So yeah. firm and kind yeah. it is just such a great way to live. Yeah. Uh, oh, the last thing I was curious about, you are a person that has come to a... a you know, we all have our mountains to climb and there's like a book, The Second Mountain that you might be familiar with. It seems like you have like very well climbed the heck out of your first mountain in the realm of career and impact and relevance and things of that sort, whether that was a mountain for you or not. It's, you know, if it was, you climbed the heck out of it. What's meaningful for you now? Like what, what keeps you going? Why are you still here? What, what, like, was like, yeah, this is why I'm waking up each day that it feels, what's, what's, what is that for you? And has it changed over the years? Well, I had no idea where my life was going to go. I had no idea at all. I want to end mental illness. The idea, so many people said that was such a stupid title for my book. I want to end mental illness by creating a revolution in brain health. And so I want to create an army of revolutionaries who we call them brain warriors. Uh, I do a podcast with my wife called The Brain Warriors Way. And I love it because I'm always learning. I'm always getting people excited about their health, the health of their brain. And so however that goes, I have a book coming out next year on happiness. It's called You Happier, the Neuroscience of Feeling Good, based on these seven secrets. It's pretty cool. I, I love creating. Um, I love just being part of the, the conversation. And, yeah. you know, with the pandemic, it spawned a mental health pandemic. And so my insignificant dragon is feeling important. It's like people need this message more than ever. What's the best direction to point people from here if they want to learn more about your work or if they wish people go from here? Um, so they can listen to the podcast, brainwarriorswaypodcast.com, or if they want to learn more about our clinics, we have nine clinics around the country. Amen, amen like the last word in a prayer, clinics.com. I'd love to get come in and check the clinic out at some point down down the line. I've heard really amazing things from lots of people that I respect and appreciate. So seems like you're doing a tremendous job. And um, thank you so much for making time to have this abstract wormhole, multi-directional, tangential conversation with a stranger, Dr. Amen. Well, Aaron, <laughs> it's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> Their ideas. Yeah, thanks so much for doing what you do. And I appreciate you making time to do this again.
hopefully we get to do this again. When your next book comes out, I'd love to do this again. Great. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. I hope you guys devoured that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it and appreciate it. If you do, you can share it on the Instagram, Be A Likely Place. You could tag me at Align Podcast, and you could tag Dr. Amen at Doc underscore Amen. This is the best way to support your friends, support your family, share the good word that people that are suffering with their mental health, there are opportunities there are fixes. There is a lot of low-hanging fruit out there. And Dr. Amen does an excellent job at presenting some of those options. So I hope it was supportive for you guys. And if you're interested in incorporating more movement into your mental health, you can jump over to alignpodcast.com slash courses to check out any of the various courses that we've created specifically for you to simply break down how to operate your body more effectively, ranging from healing back pain to opening up ankle impingement, knee impingement, hip impingement, shoulder impingement. If you are living in a body that feels stuck, if you wake up in the morning and you feel all stiff and rigid, jump over there and get yourself sorted out. The six-week Align Method Online program is a fantastic starting point if you would like to understand how to breathe better, how to calm your nervous system, how to activate or stimulate your nervous system, and get the baseline mechanics on how to move effectively in daily life. As Dr. Amen mentioned, that is tied back into not just confidence and effectiveness of movement, being stronger, more flexible, et cetera. It also is tied back to your brain health. So if you're experiencing brain fog, if you want to feel sharper, I recommend you look through the lens of movement because there are a lot of low-hanging fruit in that realm. And we provide that to you to feast upon in the Six Week Align Method online program. So you can go over to alignpodcast.com slash courses. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I look forward to speaking with you next week. <laughs>